Hello and welcome to Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lamb. I use they, them, their pronouns. And I'm an outreach coordinator and a therapist here at the Yellow Chair Collective. So today I'm very excited to have two guests with me to talk about their experiences dating and sex as Asian men. I don't want to give too much away but we talk a lot about masculinity in Asian culture. We talk about sex and sexual expectations. We talk about how all of this influences dating in America as an Asian man. And so I will let them introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Nate. I am 28. I use he, his pronouns. In the daytime, I'm an entertainment lawyer. And with whatever free time I have left, I'm a really active competitive hip-hop dancer whatever other spare time i have left cool. like play basketball travel etc wow. the typical things okay i didn't know that <laughs> okay so hey everyone my name is jeff yom i use he him his pronouns i am a therapist just like jack at yellow check collective and i'm also the communications coordinator really passionate about racial ethnic and cultural identity formation and something that i've been thinking about is how can i or we as therapists decolonize mental health therapy by being more emotion focused rather than thinking about thoughts and cognition. And then a little bit about me. I love traveling. I'm a big sports person, so I play all the sports. <laughs> um, but I'm not a dancer. Count me out of that <laughs> art. <laughs> okay. Well, thank y'all so much for sharing a little bit. But I just want to give a little bit of background of how we kind of got to this topic. I was talking to one of our friends at the Asian American with Disabilities Initiative and Nathan had been on their podcast and talking about dating. So that kind of spurred me to reach out and we had a great conversation. And I was like, well, let me loop in Jeff because Jeff is a therapist here at Yellow Chair. And also we've talked about kind of your experiences dating. So maybe where we can start today is where are you both right now when it comes to dating? So right now I'm in a relationship of about one and I guess a third of a year. And I think when I spoke with Dennis, which is our mutual friend over at Asian Americans with Disabilities, I think I had just entered that relationship. But I think the core of our topic was kind of like a year in space where I was just pretty active in the dating circle after coming out of a much longer relationship. But yeah, as of right now, happily in a nice and long-term relationship. We love to hear it. <laughs> uh, as for myself, I am also in a relationship. It is fairly new, definitely in that honeymoon stage. Very excited. There's a lot of nerves too. I mean, as there are in early stages. So yeah, it's been a while since the last time I was in a relationship. Actually, I was in a year and a half-ish relationship up until about, I think the end of 2016. And so it's been a very, very long time, <laughs> six years. But in between that time, I definitely did try to date, uh, meet people that I knew through friends and even through the online dating app scene. Okay. Well, I kind of want to start there, right? So I think with dating, a lot of it is now through dating apps. But 
I wonder what y'all's experiences have been when you first start dating. Like, what did it look like? How did you navigate that? Because I mm. think there's a lot of, especially in my practice, I think one of the things that I very much struggle with is evolving of norms when it comes to dating these days. Mm. Like whether or not you're supposed to do certain things, right? Because I think there were a lot of rules that came from like rom-coms and yeah. like the wisdom of, I don't know, the crowd, <laughs> like general wisdom that people follow. So yeah. how did y'all navigate that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think I had similar confusion when I kind of re-entered dating because from about 22 to 25, 26-ish, I was in a really long-term relationship. And as I mentioned to Jack, and I think it was a huge you know, foundation of, I think, the topic today, which I'll get into more later, is that I consider myself very, very much like inexperienced with women, both like sexually and probably emotionally. When I was like exiting that relationship, that person in that relationship, even though I had been prior relationships, was probably the only one I'd ever really felt like I was like really fully intimate in both physical and emotional ways with. And so it was really weird to go out into the space again now at like 25 when I felt like most of my friends were probably thinking about marrying their significant other or had like come off of like that phase when we, when you're like from 22 to 25, where you're kind of learning to date already and casually, like, you know, having more fun flings and things like that. So it felt weird because I was kind of neither in neither of those like kind of ballparks. And I felt kind of behind my peers uh, significantly in that like respect. But it was interesting because I think as I like went through that dating space, I felt like it was a lot less stressful than I think like what the memes and like what people like I've you know friends have told me it might have been just my attitude toward it because I had very low expectations I was just mainly dating for fun more than anything else but I feel like when I entered it everyone was talking about like you know how often you get ghosted and how often you like <laughs> I don't know make sure like I don't know you just have to be on your toes all the time because like these mm. people you're dating might not be the people that you think etc cetera, etc cetera. and it may just be that I was lucky because you know again I was only really dating for about a year. Uh, I would say it was very, very active. I was probably going on like two or three dates a week if I had the time, but Sheesh. Oh. <laughs> a lot of dates. What the? I, just, I just had a lot of time. When you're, when you're oh freshly my. single, that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> but um, I, I think in that time and space, I didn't really feel like I had any horrible dating experiences. I thought everyone I met was really great. I think what surprised me more than anything was kind of how I don't know how better way to say it, but it felt like the bar for dating was like very low. It felt like if you were just kind of who you were and you weren't trying to pretend to be anything else, most people were pretty accepting of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think there are plenty of times where either sides would be nervous. And I think it was very normal, but it was never like a thing where it's like you have to be the coolest dude ever to, you know, go on a great date. And I think same thing like for vice versa for like a girl, you don't have to be everything that like society kind of makes you out to be to be someone that people want to date. So. Okay. Well, one of the questions definitely I have right off the bat after that is like <laughs> two to three dates a week. Jeez, that <laughs> sounds exhausting. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think a lot of it was overcompensation. I mean, like I said, uh, coming out of that relationship, I still considered myself a virgin. I think given the complicated nature of that relationship, some people probably wouldn't think I was a virgin, but you know, it felt weird. I was like a 25 year old virgin in a world where most of my friends were probably having sex by the time they were like 18. And I think especially considering I'd come out of two relationships by then, it felt like something I needed to like have lost already. Right. And I think a big deal was that my ex, the one that I had gone out of the relationship with was 
in my head, it was, was very clearly going to have sex with someone very shortly after we broke up. And I'm like a pretty competitive person. So I remember coming out of that relationship <laughs> and my only goal in my head was like, I just need to lose my virginity before I know like this person is going to sleep with someone else. And I, I think I achieved that goal pretty quickly, but it probably was not uh, competitively fulfilling as I thought it'd be. But yeah, that was probably a huge motivation for me being so active was just trying to make up lost ground. I'm like the type of person where like, if I know I'm behind some, in something, like I'll spend like all day trying to get oh. ahead. I think it just naturally carried over to dating. Um, but yeah, I will say it surprised me when I like talk to other people and I realized other people don't really get that crazy about dating. But like I said, I just had a lot of free time more than anything else. <laughs> hey, thank you for your honesty. I'm sure, I'm sure there are people who are going to listen to this podcast and be like, hey, me too. <laughs> I'll share. So, man, dating apps, were they, how, when were they? When did they become a thing? Um, I think like 2014, around 2014. there. 2013, 20, yeah, 2013, 2014. Okay. See, like mm. I got Instagram in college. <laughs> so mm. the whole, I, we, it's, I'm part of that generation where we slowly, like the internet took off around that time with social media and dating apps and things like that. But just to clarify, when mm-hmm. were you in college when you're talking about you got Instagram in college? 2010 like that's when the first like Mm -hmm. filters and everybody's pictures were so ugly back then but yeah i remember getting instagram we're like what the heck is this with the whole blue icon and anyway so dating apps weren't a big thing like we were still meeting people through people or through social events and for me like i didn't date as much as i really wanted to i didn't date Maybe went on two dates in college. Definitely people that I wanted to be with, but never had the courage or the confidence to pull that trigger. And then it wasn't until after college, around when I was 24, that I had met my first girlfriend. And lo and behold, she was also my first kiss at 24. If there are people out there, hey, I see you. All is good. (laughs) It is all good. I remember dating apps being introduced to me after that. And it, it was so weird. Like coffee meets bagel, Bumble, uh, Bumble's a rather newer one. And then hinge was probably the newest one. And even till this day, it was very frustrating. (laughs) You, at least for me, like you get ghosted or if you don't respond in time, people will just unmatch you. I've even had a situation where, I read the profile. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to ask about that. And then they just unmatched me. I'm like, what the heck? It's super bizarre. And that happened to me once too, actually. Now that I think about it. See, it happens to everybody. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I remember being super frustrated because at least for me, like, and I think some of my friends will say this too, but don't try to put too much hope, but try to have fun with it. And I think for me, somebody who dates to marry, that was really hard. I don't like hookup culture. I don't like one night stands, never done it. I will just say right now, I'm 30 and I've never had sex. I'm a virgin. And that will come as a shock to many people, but whatever, get over it. Yeah, I just never felt like I could just do that. And part of that was from family expectations, but also responsibilities, religious expectations at the time. But dating apps, 
they sucked for a while. And I did meet a couple people, but those didn't last. <laughs> did you meet your uh, current girlfriend over dating app? I did. So am I a hypocrite? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a happy ending. There's a happy ending. There is a happy ending. <laughs> I will say that. So yes. <laughs> so was, was your current girlfriend, like when you first started talking to her on the dating app, was it a different experience? I mean, she obviously didn't unmatch you. So that's, that's a word. Yes. Thank <laughs> God almighty. Um, <laughs> but like, um, how did it start compared? Like, did it feel different compared to the other ones you, you know, met through apps? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I tend to ask a deeper question because that's just who mm. I am. I don't like the, hey, do you play sports or do you like cake? I'm, I mean, there's a time and place for that. Um, but I remember asking her, what is the best quality that your friends would say about you? Ooh. So that way I can get to know how she talks about her friends, but also a double whammy. I can hear from another person's perspective of who that person is like. I remember she was asking me questions and we're talking and I was like, okay, we can hold the conversation. And then for me, I'm a little bit more hesitant to meet a person in person right away. Mm. And so I said, Hey, are you willing to do a video chat thing that they have a feature on hinge where you can video call people? Some of my friends are, who are married now, they're like, what you can video call people <laughs> on dating apps. Um, I was like, yeah, I, it's crazy. I'm 30 and I'm figuring this out. But we ended up chatting and it was best first date on a dating app ever. <laughs> wow. So that's really interesting to me because I feel like the perspective or the approach to dating apps between us really differed because I think before dating app culture, like you said, I was very similar where I had never had a one night stand at that point. I had like attempted ones, but to keep it short, they were just, they didn't work out. But mm. I think ultimately, like you, I was never really a fan of like the idea of just meeting someone and getting so like, I don't know, vulnerable with them in one day. Um, mm -hmm. It felt really foreign to me. And maybe because we both like, you know, weren't as experienced and maybe not as confident, perhaps as like some of our friends or whatever. But yeah. it always just felt weird to me. It felt like a really strange part of culture that I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, and that was something I kind of forced myself to try when I like got on a dating app. Like I had... I lost my virginity through a one night stand after I broke up with my ex. And it, it was interesting because it felt so like impersonal. Um, and I remember it, it was like a really strange feeling, but I think like carrying that over into like the dating app space, I feel like that carried over into how I kind of looked at dating apps where, you know, there was obviously girls I like to see and girls that like, if they like go to me, I was like, Oh, like, that, that kind of sucks. But I think overall, I think different from, you, Jeff, I kind of like approached it more like a game almost where I was like, well, let's just like see mm. if I like say this weird ass thing. Like, let's see if it works. Not that I was ever like strange, but I just like would say whatever. I didn't <laughs> yeah, you be careful much. about yeah. that. <laughs> now I'm like, <laughs> what, 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 what did they use to clarify? I'm, I'm not trying to get Catholic. <laughs> I would just say like dumb things, like not nothing like misogynistic or nothing like super like obnoxious, but. I just like didn't really care if the conversation was like the best conversation I ever had. And I'll say that's very different from who I am in real life because like you, I like to like ask them really deep questions and stuff. Like my friends. Come on, joking. man. Why yeah. are you coming up up front? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's two sides of the coin, but I feel like it, for me, it helped because, you know, if it didn't go anywhere, it's like, well, I didn't really, there wasn't really anything that was said in both directions, but um, I thought it was also interesting because there'd be times where I'd have a really, really good conversation if like just naturally and organically we talked about something really deep 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be like, oh, I'd, I'd love to meet this person person. Yeah. And then like the chemistry wasn't there when you meet in person, despite like having a really yeah. good online conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then vice versa, where like I'd be talking to a girl and I'm getting like one word answers and I'm like, okay, do you want to just like meet up? And it's a great in-person conversation, but the girl just didn't really have the energy to put in the time to, you know, have an online conversation. So I thought that was really interesting. I kind of started gravitating more toward putting very little effort into the initial conversation. And my only goal is like, I just want to like, I didn't really drink a lot. So I would just like be like, let's get like ice cream or something. And I'd spend like an hour with them. And that was like usually my limits test of whether I enjoyed hanging out with them or not. So it's cool to see a different perspective. I think, you know, obviously both work, but it's nice to see that there's... Uh, a gradient of approaches <laughs> and i think speaking of gradient what i want to kind of highlight or maybe what i noticed through both of your stories is that i know nate you brought up this feeling when you were 25 being out of this relationship this pressure of seeing you know your friends being married already right and that you hadn't had sex at the time and then jeff you had your first kiss at 24 <laughs> right and <laughs> lovely bloomers yep. <laughs> and you're yep. and you're 30 and you're still a virgin and as you said that shocks a lot of people still jack still i'm just joking <laughs> what can i say what are the problems this is coming <laughs> this is coming from a horse perspective i will own it and that's okay oh no. my gosh <laughs> hey we don't shame here no I just, yes. but what i think about is this normative timeline right like of what we are expected to see in terms of having a relationship right i think of going to college finding someone and having a partner by then and then getting married in your mid-20s or to late 20s right and both of y'all have very different experiences from that and i don't think it's necessarily anomalies because especially in you know today's society and how hard it is just finding a job, moving around. Mm-hmm. It's hard for a lot of people to kind of follow that traditional timeline. Oh. One of the things that I think of is how much did that kind of affect your experience, Nate, when you were feeling this pressure of losing your virginity? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was huge. I mean, I think um, what you said about a normative timeline is really significant in this like day and age. And I think what you said about a lot of people struggling with conforming to that timeline it makes a lot of sense too. Because I think when I first entered college, I like, you know, I wasn't the coolest kid in high school, but my vision was like in college, I was going to have this kind of check off all these boxes. And if you watch like any show about college, there's probably at least one episode about like people just hooking up frantically, like all the time. You know what I mean? I think like I felt weirder and weirder as I like aged in college and I was single and I was like, I don't really care about all this stuff, you know, like, I feel like I should, and it seems fun, but like every time I was in a situation where I don't know, I'd be talking to a girl and it was clear that, you know, something could happen. I just like, didn't really express much interest in taking it further. If I didn't really feel comfortable with that person. Um, And I will say a fault of mine was I didn't really feel comfortable with a lot of people. I think in that day and age, because I didn't really like myself at the time. So it was hard to feel comfortable with someone else. Right. So I think it was interesting because personally for me, I feel like the more I got to like understand myself and grew myself, it became easier to like open up to women in a way where like sex could be more comfortably introduced. Um, Like I think by the time I got to like the age of 25, I didn't really have any issues about losing it to like whoever is. I was just more like, I'm ready to kind of, you know, just get on and explore what's after that. 
And I think I felt a little more comfortable about being more vulnerable, but it was definitely tough. And I think, like you said, that pressure of wanting to conform to that timeline always hung over my head because I'd always think about like, dude, I'm like probably the latest to lose it of like any of my friends. And I think a big thing too was everyone assumed I had already lost it. Like people would talk to me like I already uh-huh. knew what was going on. <laughs> um, yeah, we're like, you know, when I was with my girlfriend, there's there's probably no one ever that thought we weren't having sex. And even my girlfriend or my ex rather didn't even know that I was a virgin. Like, I think the first time we talked about sex, she like asked about, oh, like, how did it feel when you do it with like other girls? And then I was like, hmm, this is like a weird question to answer, honestly, when we're like talking so casually, right? So it's like one of those things. And I think we, me and Jeff talked about this, where it's like hard to talk about your inexperience when everyone assumes you have more experience, because it's always in a lighthearted fashion when you're having these conversations. So it's like a bit weird to be like, oh, actually, I didn't really know what we're talking about here. And it kind of shuts down the whole conversation. Everyone's like, oh my God, really? Like, no way. So it became one of those things, I think, where I was like, you know, I'll lose it and then no one will ever know. And I can just pretend like I've known all along. But I think, like you said, the more I talked to other people, I realized a lot of people went through the same experience. Like a lot of people who I assumed were just living it the most. I would talk to them more and they would, they told me like they had some experiences where they like considered sex to be a lot more valuable to them than, you know, what hookup culture has said otherwise. A lot of people similarly told me that they like would feel like anxiety about sex or like feel worried about their sexual inexperience, even if we were like 25 or 26. So I think the more I learned about that as I got older, I realized the experiences that Jeff and I are having are definitely normal. And I think they like the reality is that there's no normative timeline. I think it's just that depending on the circles you're in, sometimes it feels like you are behind when you're really not. And at the end of the day, it's just kind of like a matter of, I think you figuring out yourself. And then once you do that and like, whenever you feel comfortable, then it's like, okay to do it. And it doesn't really matter whether that's at like 20 or 30 or whatever, because I think I've I've met so many people, like when I was dating and just like my friends who were so like wide across the range, like, you know, some people had like a massive hoe phase and some people just like, were going through it for the first time at like 27 or something. And it was their first time trying it just like me. I think across that range, it didn't really feel like I was talking to different people. Like, I think they had all like sexual experience aside. It's not like one person was better than the other. It was just who they were. And it didn't really change, you know, the quality of our interactions or our overall relationship. So I think as long as you don't let it dominate your like self-esteem in the ways that it did for me for a while. And like, it took me like a while to work through. It's really just another aspect of who you are. And that's like totally fine. I mean, I mean, the pressure is real. Whoever listens to this podcast, the pressure is real. I will tell you right now, like from a psychological standpoint, we as humans don't want to be on the outside of what the majority is doing, or at least we assume that they are doing. And so like, yeah, when you have a group of guys or a group of men, like heterosexual males, like you'll see a different aura or attitude. But then when you pull them aside, it's like, Oh, wow. Where was this person in the middle of that group discussion? For me, thankfully, I had really great friends in college who always told me like, hey, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. We don't see you any differently. But I think it was just that societal pressure. I'm thinking all of my closest buddies, they've all had sex prior. And I remember feeling I'm the only one. And on top of that, (laughs) which makes it even more difficult is that Majority of my friends are engaged, have babies, married, and they even told me, oh yeah, Jeff is going to be the first one to be married out of college. (laughs) And now I might be the last one, but there's a lot of pressure. 
from all my friend groups, every single one of them, you've never had sex. And I even talked to one of my friends. We're both 30. She's single, but she even was like, Jeff, no, I've known you from high school and you still have it. I was like, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't shame me for this crap. She's like, that's just so shocking. But then as I had these conversations, eventually the people say, man, that's really rare. And I really respect that. But I don't feel that way <laughs> because my whole life, like everyone's been telling me, man, you need to have sex or you need to go out and get it. Like that's kind of this talk that people use. And for me, I've always felt like, no, I don't want to just do it just to do it. Like if there are any guys out there, I'm, I want that emotional connection before I connect with somebody on a physical level. Call me old fashioned or whatever. I just couldn't do it. I remember a couple of my friends went out and I expressed interest in this one woman and we were very flirty and eventually people were like, are you going to take her home? And, I, and again, that same pressure. And I was like, whoa, bro, like chill out. <laughs> and then she straight up asked me, will you come home with me tonight? And I went, huh? <laughs> Literally, in the middle of the bar, she goes, will you come home with me? And I said, I'm so sorry. I've never been asked that question ever in my life. <laughs> and I said, no, I can't. And her immediate body language was, I don't want to talk to you. And I was like, hey, let's talk. And eventually I told her, I was like, look, I never had sex before. And I don't want to just have sex with somebody that I met today. That's just not going to happen. And that really like kind of brought her down. And she's like, oh, I didn't know. Like, I'm so sorry for pressuring you. And I said, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> but Yes, there's a lot of pressure out there. I will tell you that. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting anecdote too, because, you know, you mentioned a lot about guys, you know, pressuring you and that's a huge thing. But what I've noticed in the world, it's like kind of interesting that it kind of almost goes both ways. Like a big reason that my ex and I never had sex was because she was a virgin too at the time and she was significantly younger than I. And, you know, she just didn't feel ready. I was like her first everything. So it was understandable that, you know, she wanted to wait. But I remember like when we were progressing in our relationship to like the second and third year of the relationship, it wasn't even like me that was pressuring her. It was like her friends who were female would be like, Oh dude, you should just try sex. Like you'll like it. You know what I mean? Like, why are you like, so like hung up on it? And like, why are you waiting so long? Like you're making this guy wait. And then like, when we got out of the relationship, I would talk to like mutual friends and they would be like, Oh dude, I didn't know you're waiting for so long. Like that sucks. You know what I mean? Mm. And I mean, obviously it did. Like I would, obviously if I could rewind time, it'd be great to have, had a more sexual relationship for those four years but yeah. i didn't really think much of it quite honestly after we got out of it because like you said i thought the emotional value i got out of that relationship was really strong and you know as i became single it, i realized very quickly like the sexual aspect of it matters a lot less when you have a really great connection otherwise overall um but it's interesting because like you said you know it's not just men it's like women will sometimes put that same pressure on you to oh. be like the sexual man that like, I think most people assume every man has to be. And I think that really surprised me. Like, I don't think I had the exact same experience you did, but I would definitely run into situations where it was very clear that a woman wanted you to kind of make some sort of sexual advance or like make something happen between the two of you. And that always just felt weird to me because it was like, I don't really like, I've met you for like an hour. I don't really know. How <laughs> That's exactly. That this is like, cool. you know what I mean? Like, and I would talk okay. to females or males that like had some experiences and I was like, it was just foreign to me because it was, to me, it was like, how in 20 minutes have you understood that, like, you feel comfortable enough with this person to do anything? 
But yeah, I, I think that's interesting. One thing that I definitely think of is Nate, you mentioning earlier about kind of shows or movies about college, and there's always this episode about messy hookups, right? I think I've learned a lot around like what it looks like to have sex or what it looks like to pursue sex and what sex means through a lot of media, mm. right? For me, when I think about like how sex is portrayed for men in the media, I think of as y'all talked about this peer pressuring of like, oh, dude, like you need to hit it. You need to lose your virginity. You need mm-hmm. to, it's not just something that is, as I hear you, you both talking about it, it's kind of like, a, oh, it's an emotional intimacy kind of act. It's a, a thing that I want to do with someone who is, I feel close to, I feel good with versus yeah. what I saw on TV and the movies and I maybe still do is this like, no, it's an achievement. When you have sex, it means you are, on another level or you've accomplished something you're awarded right it's not so much about the relationship anymore it's more about like your almost like a masculine identity right like of now yeah, you're a man yeah. or you're a manly you're because you've had sex or if you've had yeah. even more sex that's great because you're a stud right and i, I mean, hate that i hate that so much but what's funny is that oh. that was so huge to me like i think growing oh. up because I think fundamentally, I was always a little insecure about like my self-worth. Like I was never fantastic in any department. I was never like the smartest or like the strongest or the fastest or whatever. It was like interesting to see like when you look at the world of dating, um, especially in the time that we were in college around like 2011 to 2015, that era, there was like a really big movement of dating coaching where like there was like this, all these men who were just like not the best looking men, but they just knew how to connect with women and they could teach you how to sleep with women just way above your league. And it was like this culture called like, it was called PUA. I think it's, it stood for pickup artist. Yeah. Pickup artist. I yeah, do remember this. It started with this. Yeah. It started with this book, I think by Neil something. And it was, I can't remember what it's called. I think it was called the game. And it was just basically the idea that you could like, you learn how to talk to women, you could sleep with women just way above your league. And obviously, you know, that's like Jack said, like a huge social value. And I remember at that time I was in college, I was coming off like a high school relationship, never really knew how to talk to women. And I remember picking up this book called Models by Mark Manson. And Mark Manson is now like a really hugely successful author with, you know, like the subtle art of not giving a fuck, wrote Will Smith's autobiography. But he started in the pickup artist community. And that entire book was about, you know, learning how to talk to women. But what I liked about that book, and, you know, he's done this with the genres he's moved on to since, is that he, like, kind of deconstructed the pickup artist genre and said, you know, it's not about having the perfect line to say or doing, like, step A and B. It's about figuring out how to present yourself as a person in a way where you feel comfortable with yourself. And he just broke it down in a way where it's not about a game and just learning how to connect women genuinely. So I learned a lot from that book. And... To tie back to what Jack was saying, it's interesting because during that era, so much of like your value as a guy was like the woman you slept with. Like, I think that was a huge reason why I even thought about sex was so much was because we'd be hanging out and, you know, one of our friends would be really popular with women and all the women are like paying attention to him because it's like, ooh, like who are you dating now? Like what funny or like crazy sex experiences have you had? And it just denoted a certain level of social value that I didn't feel like I had. And it felt like, I needed to have that to be on the same level as like other people I looked up to or people that I considered like, you know, guys I wanted to be like. It doesn't even come to like the media portion of it, where if you just watch any porn or if you look at the media more generally, 
the men who like get the most women are considered usually often like the highest value. Right. So that was something I think that was really hard for me to deconstruct for a long time because every time I like went out, like I'd go out and be like, okay, today I'm going to like finally like just try this whole thing that everyone talks about. And I get into a situation where it happens and I'm like, uh, I'm like kind of good. Like, I don't really, this just doesn't really feel right. You know what I mean? Right. But it was hard to reconcile that with the fact that like high value men like have a lot of sex. So it'd make me feel like I wasn't at that level of value. And it was like, it made me feel like there was almost something wrong with me where like I had like this mental block that was preventing me from reaching that level of value. Yeah. So I, I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of men subconsciously think about it and like it sits with them, but it's like hard for them to express because it's such a multitude of things that like compounds into that feeling. And I think for years, I didn't even realize I was doing all that. I was kind of just on autopilot following, you know, like you said, like the media and everything else. I think it's definitely a huge reason for like why men obsess over sex is so much is because the media almost kind of forces you to. And like even society will kind of push you to be this kind of man if you want to be high value in this like society. So it's, I think it's a very valid point. I think one of the things that that makes me think of, well, first of all, is how much the term high value men is ew yeah. Yeah, like that. alpha males right like oh yes I don't like that yes. <laughs> but the second thing i think of now that you were talking about the game and pickup artists my immediate thought was have y'all watched how i met your mother yes like no, doesn't, not really doesn't barney in yes have like a, a playbook or something like that, yep, that yep, he, yep, yep. yeah and that was um that was like <laughs> a huge hit tv show and right. he would be you know, revered as this amazing pickup artist that could, he had, like, like different women, like every episode. Yeah. And that was supposed to be right. Something that denotes his social value. As you said, yeah. I, I think that was everyone thought Barney point. was the coolest. Like he was like everyone's favorite character. No one liked Ted. I don't, I don't know. Who's <laughs> oh, Barney? Ted was know. annoying. He was, do you know Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. Yeah. So he was like playing this like hypersexual like dude who would just like, go out and get a different woman every night. And the main character was Ted who like was much more about like, I want to find someone I love and stuff. And, you know, he would date, yeah. but Barney was like so much more popular amongst yeah. like fans than Ted because he just yeah. like was always doing something crazy. He was yeah. slick. He was yeah. cool. He wore business <laughs> smooth. Right, right, right. Right. Gotcha. But I think one of the things that it makes me think of when I think about value, right? Especially when it comes to attaching value to gender, right? Being a high value man. I think of what the ideal man is, right? Like what is masculinity and what does it look like in its ideal form? And then I also think of, you know, for me, myself, growing up as a masculine presenting Asian person, like I think my race definitely had a huge impact on how I saw myself. I think there was a lot of, I mean, this is still true, I think, in the gay community where there's a lot of like what is now coined as like sexual racism Mm. of folks saying, right, like, um, no, I don't find Asian folks attractive, right? No, there's uglier ways to put this where they would say like, no rice, no spice, no fat, no femmes. And this happens like in the gay community, A lot more in the past, I think more recently with more consciousness. And of course, I think we were talking about this prep, but like Asian men's like stock going up because of all of this like recent media, like covering. Shout out to Simu Liu. (laughs) (laughs) Single-handedly. Yes. That is interesting. That's another topic. 
Right. And that's what I, I was thinking. I was wondering like how much being Asian maybe kind of affected your self-esteem, self-confidence, because that's something that you brought up. And how did it affect your experiences dating and maybe sex mm, even? The pressures. I mean, okay, we'll just quickly jump into the model minority myth where Asians, particularly Asian men, I would say in my experience, because I grew up in Oregon, white suburbia, where we weren't seen as attractive. We weren't the guys that women wanted to be with. We were just like scrawny, whatever. And I, I mean, I still was around this size, but I still saw myself as less than or smaller than my white counterparts. Just um, for the people listening, yeah. what is your size? Like how, what is your height and weight, I guess? Six foot six, five. Two no, pounds. I'm all six, muscle. <laughs> I'm six feet, 5'11", okay, three quarters. Athletic build, and I weigh about two, two or five. <laughs> Dang. Uh, okay. But you no. can't answer this question, Jeff. You're, He's you're thick. Above the, the <laughs> no, no, no. Minority no. issues here. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, trust me. I think that affected my confidence level in the way that how like women, at least for me, like they wanted to be with the white guys, and nobody really expressed interest in being with an Asian guy. So that definitely affected my confidence level going into college. I went to school down in Southern California, but again, a high percentage of white students. And so again, I felt very much like, oh, I don't know if I can date a white woman as much as I had my own internalized racism and wanted to be with white women. That has significantly changed and I have become aware of new horizons. <laughs> and then I would say that I'm much more confident in who I am, but it's weird to now be hypersexualized or fetishized. I'm on TikTok and Instagram, and I've had some very straightforward DMs saying like, "Really, I want you to be my husband or you are so sexy. Like, can I take you out on a date? Never one got a DM like that. One person even said, hey, I'm going to the BTS concert in Vegas. Will you join me? I was like, um, I don't know you. <laughs> but you could have gotten free BTS tickets. I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but this person was definitely inviting me to a concert in another state. And I was like, wow, I never got this attention. And it's really weird. Still awkward to this thing. Yeah. Do you not feel like any sort of like, I don't know, validation or like ego boost from that at all? Or is it just weird to you? I would say 80% weird, 20%. Okay. <laughs> but more, more weird than ever because my whole life I thought I wasn't attractive or yeah. or whatever word yeah. you want to put. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, I, we talked about this in the prep too, but it's really fascinating to me because I think we live two very different perspectives. But one thing I didn't know was like Jeff's like physical build because I mean, I, we're only talking on Zoom, but... I think it's particularly interesting because that's a huge factor in why Asians are considered unattractive is we're short, you know, skinny, et cetera. But um, how tall are you? Well, so here's the thing. I'm five, six. And that's okay. like not super. It's not short. It's not like I'm hugely disadvantaged, but it's not like a lot of women historically want someone who's six feet tall. So I think that's really interesting because growing up, I never really thought about it much because I was lucky to grow up in a super Asian community and mm -hmm. Asians dated Asians, you know, white people dated white people. It was kind of more segregated than it was like, oh, all the like white guys are taking all the Asian girls, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so 
I never really thought of being Asian as a disadvantage, but I remember getting to college and one big thing I noticed was like, I would go play basketball and I was like playing in like a forest of trees, right? Like it was so much <laughs> taller, right? Like white dudes, That's, black dudes, like Latino it took me a dudes. second, but then when I got it, it was hilarious. Yeah. And like, they, you know, they'd be like six feet five or whatever. And then they might be dating. Like they'd like bring their like girlfriends. We like also play basketball and it'd be like this tiny Japanese girl who's like five feet tall and things like that. So it's like interesting. Oh. Cause I would start noticing like, Oh, like, I see a lot of Asian girls with really tall guys more than I saw the ethnicity, but it still never really bugged me because I mean, I think something that was really helpful was I was in the dance community where I think a lot of dancers typically are like people who were like small, so they didn't really do other sports. So there'd be like a five foot six, like Asian guy, but because he's such an amazing dancer, like all the girls, like no matter what height are in love. Dancers are hot. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yeah. So I saw I that and I was not. like, all right, well, this is kind of the value I can bring, even if I'm like not that tall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, I got to focus on something. Mm. So I think it was interesting because like, I didn't really think about ethnicity or height at all, really, until I got, I was single at like 25 and I started looking at like subtle Asian dating and all the comments are like, men angry that their height requirement is like five foot ten for like some five foot two asian girl being auctioned you know <laughs> oh or like God. i remember going on like a date with a girl and she told me you know, she was like taiwanese i think and she said she when she was in college she purposely never dated asian guys and was only attracted to white guys or like non-asian guys essentially That's but was like trying to racism. racism yeah <laughs> it was interesting because you know we went on a date and she was telling me now she was like dating asian guys because she realized how like gross like the fetishization of like asian woman is and like mm. she realized how men were seeing her and she didn't like that and i think another experience that impacted me too was like for example my ex like hooking up with someone who was not an asian after we broke up and that was like a, i think affected my psyche more than any other experience because it was like oh was i just not attractive enough because i was asian because i think even when we talked during our relationship she said like what she considered was conventionally attractive was like an Armenian dude with like a beard and stuff like that. And she ended up hooking up with someone who looked like that. So I was like, oh, like, did I just lose out because <laughs> I was like not fitting this like physically attractive mold? You know what I mean? But I think like because I was like so immersed in communities where Asians were never really seen as like, oh, you don't belong here. I ultimately felt like I didn't really have trouble dating in any way. Besides noticing that, like, it was a lot easier to get matches if I just filtered for, like, Asians. Like, I never really went on a date with a non-Asian, so that's probably a big factor. Uh, one, I think, fun an anecdote is that, like, I probably had pretty average matches on, like, a dating app. But I remember going to Singapore for a week because my family's from there. And when I landed from that flight, I probably had more, like, pending matches in the queue than I ever had in the U.S. <laughs> so my friends would always joke, like, if any Asian ever feels, like, not attractive they should just go to asia and like i think being <laughs> american asian just makes you like go from like if you're like a five you're probably like an eight there because you just seem so like culturally different you know i did not have that experience when i went to korea oh okay so korea is i think the exception because i studied <laughs> in korea for a month and i remember like all the girls were like no i only date and talk to koreans and they were like in love with white guys and that was like during college. Yeah. And I think that was the first time I really saw it in the flesh. Mm. And like, they'd be talking to like someone who was white and like this white guy, like would not be like the smoothest or like the sharpest tool in the box, but he was just white. And that was like <laughs> enough. So it was, it was interesting because, you know, we do yeah. having a great conversation and like a white dude comes along and then all of a sudden they just like flip some weird switch. So yeah, I think there is like a lot of those like cultural problems 
I think it definitely can shape like what you think about yourself, like in terms of like your masculine value and stuff. But I feel like it's kind of like almost the same thing as dating where it's like the less you think about it and care about it, like the less you attract people where like it matters. You know what I mean? Because I feel like for me personally, I never thought about my height or my like ethnicity when I was dating really. And I was just like, you know, I'm just, if this girl is cool and we get along, like that's all that really matters to me. And I felt like I, because of that, I never really saw it as a problem. Right. But then I would have friends who would be the same height as me and like complaining that they like weren't tall enough to be attractive and things like that. So I don't know, maybe a lot of his perspective, but I mean, obviously I'm unfairly biased because I didn't really have experiences growing up where it made me think of myself as like less than. And I will say, you know, even though you maybe grew up in an environment that was majority Asian and you had less of these experiences, there is still a narrative, right? When you went on subtle Asian dating, for example. Yeah, it really surprised me when I got on there. Right. And it's kind of like, even as I hear you speak, you both speaking about your experiences, it's almost as if like, you know, of course, being white is something that there are certain people who pedestalize or kind of privilege in terms of looking for a romantic or sexual partner. But as y'all were speaking, I almost noticed like this tinge of like, oh, Asian identity being a detriment when it comes to like Mm. seeking partners, right? Like, oh, if you're Asian, you have to be tall, right? Or if you're Asian, you have to be (laughs) something else, right? Because you have to compensate for the fact that you're Asian as opposed to being white in itself is a selling point for a lot of people. And I think, you know, to put a finer point on it, I guess, right? Like, yes, it is a perspective thing, but at the same time, it's also a very like realistic reality for a lot of people who are are thinking about, well, if I want to have a partner and I'm on dating apps, I want to have options, right? And, you know, when I think about the fact that Asian men are seen as less attractive, it really sucks for me because it makes me feel like I am less than and I have less value than other people i really resonate with that like me not feeling enough and so i compensated through my athleticism (laughs) like when i finally was able to dunk i was like oh my gosh i'm at the pinnacle like people will like me more not really the case but yeah (laughs) making up for that like i I was number one on my tennis team like yeah played basketball volleyball and all that crap and it didn't really make a difference No, 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 no. No, I think if anything, I know we have to wrap up soon, but whoever is listening to this podcast, my takeaway for you is to be confident in yourself. As much as that might be really difficult, it is so not worth it to be living a life that's not authentic to who you are. You might even feel regret for doing certain things. And sure, am I happy to be where I'm at today? Yes. But when I look back at how I was the racist against my own race and how I hated being Korean. I feel really bad (laughs) for what I had to go through in my younger self. Let this old (laughs) 30-year-old tell you (laughs) just to be a little bit more confident in yourself and that you're going to be okay. Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. That's a really good point because like Jeff said, I think I also overcompensated a lot. Um, I couldn't compensate with height, like what all some of us are lucky enough to do. (laughs) But um. I was the same way where like I'd be playing sports and I was short. So I was like, well, I just need to be like way better at this sport than someone else so that I can, you know, validate myself. And now I look back on it. I think ethnicity was probably a factor for sure. And I think that's like a reason why like dance is such a big part of my life is because that's something that 
you know, even if you're six foot tall, you can't like really take away from me because it's like a more skill and technique based thing. And your body isn't really as much of a factor. And I think those things were like a tremendous source of confidence when I entered the dating world, because I knew I had developed like skills that like could not be taken away from me, no matter like how I looked or like what I was born as. It's interesting because I think like you can probably look at it in one form where it's like, well, it's unhealthy to compensate in that fashion. Like you shouldn't have to compensate in that fashion. But I think, I don't know, for me, I kind of looked at it in this like almost competitive sort of way where it's like, from what I could see, it seemed like a big reason that like the white men I met or like other non-Asian men I met that seemed to be just so much more to come back to like that toxic term of like high value. Like, I think a big term of that, like a big factor in that was, wasn't that they were better at me than anything. It's just that they were more confident and they like believed in themselves more. Mm. And I remember thinking that and I was like, you know, like, I just need to have that belief in myself to be able to get what I want, like in this world, whether like professionally or in the dating world or socially or whatever. And I feel like I focused on that a lot rather than thinking about what I didn't have, because what I've noticed about like when talking to men who seem to struggle with dating a lot of it is them like focusing on like something that they lack and something that like has been given to them that they don't want. Like, why did I have to be born Asian or something like that? Hmm. And I, I agree with Jeff that I think a lot of that is like unfortunate. Like you shouldn't have to deal with a society in which, you know, these things are automatically a negative attribute of yours. But to me, it's like a side of a coin where it's like you can learn to appreciate that aspect of yourself and just appreciate what you yourself can create and develop within yourself, as opposed to focusing on like what was unfairly given to you. Obviously, I think that's harder said than done. I think that's like the personal advice that has always helped me get through like tough situations in dating or anything else is I just focus on what I can improve within myself rather than focusing on something that someone had done to me. But yeah, I think that would be my key takeaway is the more you bring out the best in yourself, whether like something you want to develop or something you want to improve in your life, the less all the like outside noise matters, whether it's about like how you should date a certain way or you should look a certain way. I think all that matters a lot less when you're succeeding in your own right. Right. So very well put. I love that because I mean, I am a therapist, so, (laughs) and I guess how I practice, right. And how that like clicks for me is that, you know, there's always going to be things that are out of your control and it sucks that, you know, we live in a very racist unfair oppressive like society but that's not something you can control and what you can control is you know what you have to offer right and how much you feel confident in the skills that you have i think that's just such a beautiful story to kind of showcase that and as you said that doesn't take away sometimes how hard it can be to do that to go through that process to undo this well internalized racism and also to shift your perspective from one of like, what do I lack to, well, what can I, what do I have to offer and how can I foster connections with where I'm at? But that's why we are a therapy collective. And um, for anyone who is struggling (laughs) with like mental health support, please visit yellowchaircollective.com. Shameless plug. Great segue. Great segue. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Or you can also follow us on Instagram at yellowchaircollective. And yeah, feel free to contact us if you have more questions and we really hope that this was you know a segment that resonates for listeners thank you both for joining us today thank you this was thank fun. you guys it was a great conversation yeah thank you thank you for listening to today's episode 
to learn more and support our work, follow us on our Instagram or Facebook at Yellow Chair Collective. If you are looking for individual, couples, or family therapy in California, check out our website, yellowchaircollective.com, to see our services and clinicians. If you're outside of California, we also host a variety of virtual mental health groups that you might be interested in joining. If you really enjoy our podcast, feel free to message us to let us know or leave us a review on any of the podcast platforms. Thank you again and have a peaceful week ahead. Thank you.